Um, in, in this series we've uh, been doing, we're going to continue this morning, it's called More and More, and we've been talking about really like growth in our lives, growth in our uh, relationship with God. So like for a lot of us, you know, I was thinking about this as we we're singing this song, sometimes we can think, or sometimes people can think, I don't know if you do or not, sometimes people can think that um, once you make a decision to trust Jesus, to follow Jesus, it's like, it's done. I'm a Christian. Life is good. And I just kind of operate as normal. And that's not, that's actually really not what Christianity is. Um, there's this growth perspective to it. You know, like um, if we're not moving forward, generally we're falling back. You know, if we're not moving toward God, generally we're falling away from God. And we have all of these influences in our lives and our world that are like pulling us away from him. And so um, in the series, we're talking about what it looks like for us to grow. Like, what does it look like for me to grow as a follower of Jesus, to grow as a disciple of Jesus? And sometimes it's hard to understand if we're growing or not. Sometimes it's like it's not obvious or I don't know how to measure that. You know, I don't know what sort of measurement to use in my life. And so what we've been doing in the series is asking questions. Um, I, th I think it's some of the right questions, right? Sometimes when we're talking about growth, the questions that we could ask ourselves to discern if we're growing or not are all about doing stuff, you know? Well, am I reading in my Bible all the time, every day? Am I, re am I spending time in prayer every day? Am I going to church every week? And it's all of these sort of doing things. And those doing questions aren't bad questions to kind of determine if we're growing in the Lord or not. They're just not the only questions, and they're probably not the best questions. And so in the series, we've said, man, I, we want to ask ourselves and each other, we've said in this series that it's not just about us. Like when we're talking about growing as Christians, it's not just for me, but I also want to help other people grow, right? And we, we all should, not just the pastor, but all of us, right? So these are questions that we've said are really important questions to determine if we're growing for ourselves and also for other people, right? And so I want to kind of tell you where we've been in this series um, to hopefully, if, if you're here, this will be a little bit review, but I'll be quick with it. But if you're not, hopefully it'll get us all on the same page here. So the first week we talked about this, like what does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to follow Jesus? Essentially, what does it mean to be a Christian? And so we looked at this rabbi-disciple relationship, this master-disciple relationship, and we boiled it down and we said, this is what it means to be a Christian. Jesus is our rabbi. He's our master who we're following, who we're learning from, and who we're trying to be like, right? So there's a relationship with that. The second week we talked about, the second and third week are very closely connected. The second week we said is your understanding of God's love growing more and more. Is your understanding of God's love for you growing more and more? Like, do I get the complexity and the broadness, the depth of the way that God sees me and God loves me, right? He loves us, and for some people, they don't feel that, or maybe they've never been told that. They don't realize the extent with which God loves us. So we dug into that that week, and we talked about kind of the breadth of God's love and the depth of God's love. That's closely connected with what we talked about the following week, week three. We said, is your love for God growing more and more? So it's kind of the converse, right? Do we understand God's love for us? And is our love for him growing more and more? And we said those two things are very, very closely connected, 
right? The more I understand God's love for me, the more I understand how he sees me, how he values me, the way that he loves me, it provokes this response inside of me. It provokes this desire inside of me to love him back, to love him back more and more. And so those two things are very closely connected. And what we said is that these two things are really the core of Christianity, Those are the foundation of Christianity. So he said, Christianity is not fundamentally about doing things. It's not fundamentally about going to church. It's not fundamentally about being a good person. It's not fundamentally about reading in our Bibles. That's not what Christianity is fundamentally about. It's about these two things. These are all about relationship, right? Do I understand how the God of the universe loves me and do I love him back? So he said, that's the core of Christianity. And when we get that, like when we understand that, then it, it has implications in our lives. It leads to some actions. It leads to some outcomes, some effects. And so that's where we went in week four. We said week four is kind of like a hinge week. So we go from like, this is the core of Christianity, having a relationship with God, to it has implications in our lives. One of those implications is, is your love for those Jesus loves growing more and more? Like, are we loving people the way that Jesus loves people? So that is a great indicator of the health or the vitality of our relationship with God, right? Am I loving people the way that he's loving people? And so we looked at, Josiah, I think that week, looked at the way that Jesus loved his disciples, his 12 disciples. And they were really different. They were 12 very different people. And Jesus loved them differently. And we said, if we could love the way that Jesus loves, it is a very good indicator that our spiritual life is in a good place. We're on a good track, right? And so we dug into that that week. The following week, last week, we talked about living for what Jesus lives for more and more. And we said, in the Bible, when you do a kind of a survey of the Gospels in particular, the life of Jesus, we were in the Gospel of Matthew mostly last week, we said it's really clear, like Jesus lived for some things that are very different than what the world says that we should live for, right? And we said a really good indicator for us if we're growing in the Lord is are we living more and more and more and more for those things or are we living for other things, right? And here's a very important thing. If, if you sit here today and you go, I don't know that I'm loving Jesus the way that he loves people. I don't know that I'm, I'm sorry, I'm loving people the way that he loves people. Or you go, I don't know that I'm really living for what Jesus lives for. The answer is not, well, try harder, doggone it. You could do it, or you should. That's not the answer. The answer is, go back to week two and three. Do I understand the way that God loves me? Do I understand the depth and the complexity of his unconditional love for me? And is it provoking this response of love back to him? That's what leads to the actions in our lives. So if we're struggling with the actions, we go back to God and we go, man, I need to, I need to remember again the depth to which he loves me. Does that make sense? So this is where we've been over the last five weeks. This week, we're going to continue on with another action. And we're going to talk about our attitude. And so here's our topic this week. Is your attitude becoming more and more like Jesus? Is your attitude becoming more and more like Jesus? I read a quote by... Um, I read a bunch about attitudes this week. When I have a daughter named Natalie. When she's bad, we say she has a natitude. She's got some natitude to her, right? I read a lot about attitude this week. And um, one of the things that Winston Churchill, I thought this was a cool quote. He said, attitude's a little thing that makes a big difference. Our attitudes are a little thing, kind of a little thing. They change, right? It's a little thing that makes a big difference. 
And so I was reading kind of just broadly on it this week, and we probably, you know, my eight-year-old daughter, Natalie, knows what I mean when she's got a little attitude. Like, we all probably have an idea of what we mean when we say attitude. It's probably good to get on the same page. Here's a definition of attitude. It's a settled way of thinking or feeling about someone or something. So, so it's not just like, I'm this one second, I'm this one second, I'm this, like my attitude changes that quickly. It's not that. It's a settled way of thinking or feeling about someone or something, typically one that's reflected in our behavior, reflected in a person's behavior, right? A viewpoint, an outlook, a perspective. So I was reading about that this week, and I, like the way that my mind works, like I, I want to understand what some of the experts say about attitude. Like I have an idea of what attitude is in my mind, but I'm wondering what like academia says about attitude. And so it was interesting. I was reading a little bit about it. Um, they would say that there's three components that make up our attitude. So we have like this cognitive component that determines our attitude. And so that bit is based on our knowledge, like our thinking, right? There's this emotional component that's based on our feelings. So our, our knowledge and thinking, our feelings, and then we have this behavioral component that's based on what we do, our situation, our circumstances. And so they would say that there's three like fundamental different kinds of attitudes. Probably you've heard of and experienced all of these. Um, the first one is a positive attitude, right? Like we all, we all probably have an idea of what a positive attitude is. In academia, they would say a positive attitude is confident, optimistic, happy, cheerful, right? Positive attitude. We probably all like positive attitudes. The converse of that is a negative attitude. So a negative attitude, and we've probably all experienced this too, not personally, I'm sure, but just people we come in contact with, right? So negative attitude is the focus is on what's lacking. You complain, you blame, you're pessimistic, right? So say there's also a third kind of attitude, kind of big, big broad category of attitude, and it's a neutral attitude. A neutral attitude is indifferent, is complacent, is unemotional, and detached. You're like, huh. That's interesting. Like I, the first two are obvious, like we kind of all experience that, but I thought, yeah, that third one, that's true. I've, I've, I've experienced that myself. I've experienced that in other people. So I was reading a little more, you know, with attitude, and attitude and personality are very similar, right? So there's kind of a thin line that differentiates attitude and personality. And so I've always been fascinated with personality stuff. So if you've ever done counseling with me, premarital counseling or otherwise, I'll bet I gave you a personality test to take. Right? So to kind of deter, because I think it helps us understand how we're wired. So like Myers-Briggs is a real popular one of these. And so it's interesting, like, are we introverted or extroverted? Like, answer the question, where do I get my energy from? Right? Do I get my energy by being with people or by being alone? Am I uh, sensing or intuitive? Like, how do I take in information? Do I take it in by my five senses or by my intuition? Right? We all kind of lean one way or another. Am I thinking or feeling? How do I make decisions? Am I like using logic and reason? Am I a thinking person? Or am I using my feelings? Do my feelings help make with my decisions? Judging, perceiving, like all that stuff is really interesting to me. So the big thing that differentiates, and this is important, that differentiates personality from attitude is, that, is, is like this idea of permanency. So our personalities are more permanent, right? Our personalities are like more static. They're more set in place, right? While our attitudes can change 
depending on the situation, depending on the circumstances. One, I have more control over, that's attitude. I can control my attitude, right? I can choose my attitude. One, I have less control over. So in my life, like, I've thought probably more than most about my attitude. Like, what kind of attitude do I want to have? Which is, by the way, it's a good question. Throw it up there. What kind of attitude do you want to have? Like, think about that question in your life. What kind of attitude do you want to have? Talk about positive, negative, neutral attitude. Like, what do you want your attitude to be like? I, I've shared this in the past. I, I, this was like a, a pivotal thing for me. I had a coworker one time who, um, we're, we worked together pretty closely. She's actually my assistant. So I was her boss, and we were doing something. She goes, you know, you have a real negative attitude. <laughs> and my first thought was, I can't believe you just said that to me. Second thought was, you're, you're right. <laughs> I guess she was right. I actually, actually did have a, a real negative attitude. And so, you know, I, I like, took that time and I took a step back. And I'm like, what, what kind of attitude am I, like, um, putting on people? Like, how what, uh, am I portraying? Like, how am I impacting people with my attitude? You ever think about that? Like, sometimes it's just easy to just do life. You know, you don't think about that. Like, how am I presenting myself to people? You know, and then I thought, what kind of attitude am I attracted to in other people? You know, like some, some at people's attitudes, you're like, man, I just want to hang out with that person more. Like they're fond or whatever it is. And what kind of attitude am I repulsed by? And I go, no, I'm not, I, don't, I don't like that. I'm not interested in that. Like we can choose our attitudes, right? In fact, when you look at what the Bible says, and we're going to dig into this in just a second. When you look at what the Bible says, um, there, there's actually this, ex, this, um, this understanding that we can choose the way that we're going to be. We can choose our attitude. In fact, we're held responsible for our choice and attitudes. And so I'm not just like a slave. My attitude is not just a slave to my situation. It's not just a slave to my context. I can choose my attitude no matter what circumstances I'm in, right? One of my favorite quotes was um, by another pastor, a guy named Chuck Swindoll. Probably some of you have heard of him. He's on the radio. Just great, great communicator. But one of the things he said... He said, life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to it. 10% what happens, like 10%, I can't control it. It just, it happens to me. But 90% how I react to it. And I think about that, I'm like, that's really true. You know, I, I can choose how I'm going to react in a situation. I can choose my attitude. So now the question is, what does this say our attitude should be like? Right? If attitude is one of those measures in our life to see if we're growing as Christians, like what kind of attitude should I be pursuing? Well, I want to um, look at a passage together. This week we're going to just kind of camp out in one passage. And um, it, so, so this passage that I've read, I, I felt like I didn't communicate this well last night, just kind of what, what, um, the effect of this. This is a passage I've probably read a hundred times. And in my opinion, it is one of the top five most significant passages for us as Christians. Like if we could get this, if we could, if we could uh, live this out daily in our lives, it would change everything. It would change everything. So I was reading it this week and I was just reminded again like how powerful and significant and the effect that this could have in my life. So I'm excited to, to kind of dig into this together. So if you got a Bible or your Grace Church app, um, open it up to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. By the way, there's a table full of Bibles in the back. If you raise your hand um, and you want a uh, handheld Bible, we'll get you one there. But Philippians chapter 2. 
It's where we're going to spend our time. So let me, let me give you a little bit of background on Philippians. So maybe some of you are familiar with this, some of you aren't. Philippians is written by a guy named Paul. So Paul was one of Jesus' earliest followers. He actually was an apostle. He was a disciple of Jesus. But he didn't become an apostle until after Jesus died and resurrected. In fact, he was like against the church during Jesus' life, okay? And then after um, Jesus died and rose again, he showed himself to Paul. Paul had this powerful experience where he met the risen Jesus and it changed him forever, completely changed him. And so he's a guy, he wrote most of the uh, letters in the New Testament, most of the books in our New Testament. And so he's a guy that after he came to Jesus, he went out on all of these journeys. He called, they're called missionary journeys. Three different ones all throughout like Southern Europe, Northern Africa, Western Asia, where he would go and he would tell people about Jesus. So he would sail, he would travel to these different places. And when he'd land, he'd just talk to people about who Jesus was. And before long, these churches were planted. And so he planted all of these churches. Well, the very first church that he planted was in a place called Philippi. Philippi is in present-day Greece, okay? Very first church that he planted was there. And so he, um, by the time we get to the letter of Philippians, he's moved on. He's not in that same place anymore, but he's writing to them to encourage them. He's writing to them from prison, actually. He's been imprisoned by this point, and he's writing to encourage them. So when you think of the book of Philippians, the big picture, the big theme in Philippians, and this is fascinating to me, is joy. Okay, when you think of Philippians, think of joy. That's really what the book is all about. And so get this here. The guy who's writing it, telling them, who's joyous, telling them to take joy, is in prison, right? Those are his circumstances, and yet his attitude is joy, okay? So that's kind of the a big idea of Philippians. Where I want to go is in chapter 2. By the time we get to chapter 2, is a little bit of a transition chapter, and he starts talking about this idea of attitude. The first two verses, he kind of makes his case for it. So that's where I want to start. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. This is not quite about attitude yet, but he's setting the stage for it. Here we go. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. So before Paul starts talking about attitudes, he kind of lays this foundation. He kind of makes this plea to the Philippians and to us. And he does it by these four ifs. Go to the next slide there. There we go. These four ifs. I don't know if you caught this or not. He says if four times in here. And these are really interesting because three of these, three of the first four, three of the first four of these ifs all have something in common. I love this. Like this is like the consistency of scripture. This is what we were, I was talking about when we opened it. What do those first three have in common? They're all about a relationship with God, right? If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, I'm experiencing his love, if any common sharing with his spirit, what are all those about? A relationship with God, right? They're all about knowing the love that he has for us more and more and loving him back. All those are about a relationship with God. That's the foundation. I love how Paul does it. That's the foundation from which he makes his plea to them about attitude, which we'll talk about here in a second. Okay, the next one, the fourth one, is not about a relationship with God, but it's interesting if you have any tenderness and compassion. 
Those are actions, right? But Paul kind of assumes that if you have a relationship with God, you're going to have tenderness. You're going to have a tender heart. You're going to have compassion, right? Like if we get it, this is what we've been talking about, like the actions in our lives work out if we have a strong relationship with the Lord. If I get how much he loves me and I respond back with his love, it makes me want to live for him. So Paul is saying, if you're a Christian, if you have a relationship with God, you're going to have tenderness and compassion. That word tenderness is an interesting word. So in the, in the Greek, in the original language, um, it's bowel. <laughs> if you have any bowel, if you have any bowels, right? It's a strange word, but in Hebrew thought, your bowels, like your, your gut, the core of who you are, is where your, your tender emotions come from. So it would say like your kindness, your affection, your benevolence, your tenderness kind of is from your bowels, from the gut. So, so in Hebrew thought, they would look at the bowels kind of the way that we look at heart, right? If you say somebody's got a big heart, what does that mean? We're not really saying their heart is enlarged, right? We're saying, man, they're just, they're a kind person. They're a tender person. And so in Hebrew thought, they would say the same thing with our bowels, right? The second word, compassion, is a similar word. It has that same bowel idea, but it's about pity and mercy, compassion. It has the connotation of like my guts being wrenched. And so what Paul is saying is if you have a relationship with God, you're going to have a tender heart and you're going to have compassion. Compassion is when someone's hurting, when someone's experiencing pain, I feel it with them. I'm hurting with them, right? Okay, so this is what Paul's talking about here. He says, so essentially says, if you're connected with Christ, if you're in a loving relationship with the God of the universe, you're gonna have compassion, tenderness for others. So then, let's go on. He says, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. What's that all about? Like-minded, same love, one in spirit, one in mind. What's that about? Unity right? He's talking about unity. And remember, he's talking to the church here, right? He's not talking about everybody. He's not saying that you should be united with everybody. There's a lot of people whose lives are very, very different than what this talks about, right? And it's very hard, if we're honest, it's hard to be deeply united with people who have a completely different value system. But what Paul's talking about here is the church. He's specifically talking about the church. And I think about that, and I think, man, I cannot... I completely agree, like, how important that is for the church to be united. You know, from, from my perspective, from my seat, I look at our church, and I'm like, what God is doing here is amazing. We had, a, on Friday night, we had a little um, volunteer dinner. A lot, a lot of the folks that volunteered um, in various capacities of the church, we just had a meal together and just kind of celebrated what God's doing. And I sit in that room, and I'm like, man, like, what God's, the vitality, the life, the health of the church is so beautiful, of our campus of Grace Church, broader than that. Like, it's the unity is amazing, you know? And I think that could all change very, very quickly if we start picking on the wrong things, you know? If we start focusing on the wrong things. If, if we start assuming the worst in each other. If we start talking behind each other's backs. If we start gossiping about each other. If we start withholding forgiveness from people that have hurt us, Right? If we start, you know, getting frustrated with our differences, what will happen is it'll kill what the Lord is building. It'll kill the unity that the Lord's building. And so Paul's, Paul's 
talk here, his, his statement here, I think is so powerful. He's like, listen, if you, have, if you have a relationship with God, if you have tenderness and compassion in your heart, be united, be one with one another. That's how the church is supposed to be. And he goes on from that. When we get to verse three, now he starts talking about how that's possible. He starts talking about our attitudes. And so I want to look at it. Look at verse three. He says, this is, this is the part that I think just, just wrecks me. <laughs> Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset. That word that is translated mindset in the NIV, in other places it's translated as attitude. It's the same word as attitude. Have the same mindset or attitude as Christ Jesus, who, and now he talks about Jesus, he says, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. He gave him the name that's above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I read that and I'm like, can you imagine if, um, if each of us that say we're Christians, each of us that would identify as Christians, as followers of Jesus, if we would take that and we would go, this is how I want to live my life. Every day, this is what I want to live by. I want to look to Jesus and his attitude, the way he was. That's how I want to live. Can you imagine how that would not just change your world or my world, but it would change the world, right? Like this passage, if we could just get this, if we could ask God, and I'll, and I'll challenge you with this more at the end, but if we could just ask God to teach us this deeply within our hearts, that we could then live it out. It's not like a one-time thing we could just live it out day by day in our lives and ask for his help, it could fundamentally change everything, change relationships, change struggles. It could change everything. So I'm excited to dig into this. So, so what's Paul doing here? He's talking about what our attitude should be like, right? And he does it by looking at Jesus. He does it by looking at the greatest example of this attitude in history. And so as I look at this, there's three things that, that just jump off the page to me that I want to focus us on. So as we talk about attitude, there's all kinds of, you know, in other parts of the Bible, um, elements of a positive attitude that we could learn from, that we could grab from. What we talk about here is a little bit different. It's not just have a positive attitude. It's different. And so there's three things that jump out to me that I'm really excited for us to, to I'm excited to challenge you to think on deeply, okay? So here's the first one, ready? First one is humility. Humility. What kind of attitude should I have? What kind of attitude did Jesus have? What kind of attitude should I have? Humility. This is what, it, this is what Paul wrote. He said, In humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. He goes on, he talks about Jesus. He says, Have the same mindset or attitude as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing 
Later it says he humbled himself. I read this story this week. So I, you know, I was reading about humility and read this story about Booker T. Washington. You can remember Booker T. Washington, learning about him in school. Booker T. Washington was a renowned, famous in his time, um, black educator. So he was a famous black educator at a time when our country was kind of coming out of slavery. And uh, so just an amazing guy and a very humble guy. So I read this story um, about him. I'm going to read it to you. That it just like when I think of humility, it's, this is a beautiful example of humility. This is what it says. So shortly after he took over the pregnancy of Tuskegee Institute in Alabama, he was walking in an exclusive section of town when he was stopped by a wealthy white woman. Not knowing the, the famous Mr. Washington by sight, she asked if he would like to earn a few dollars by chopping wood for her. Because he had no pressing business at the time, Professor Washington smiled, he rolled up his sleeves, and he proceeded to do the humble chore she had requested. When he finished, he carried the logs into the house, he stacked them by a fireplace. A little girl recognized him and later revealed his identity to the lady. Well, the next morning, the embarrassed woman went to see Mr. Washington in his office at the Institute, and she apologized profusely. He said, it's perfectly all right, madam. Occasionally, I enjoy a little manual labor. Besides, it's always a delight to do something for a friend. Well, she shook his hand warmly and she assured him that his meek and gracious attitude had endeared him and his work to her heart. And so not long afterwards, she showed her admiration by persuading some, some wealthy acquaintances to join her in donating thousands of dollars to the Tuskegee Institute. And I read that and I'm like, man, like how many people, if you're, if you're something, you know, how many people would um, like respond like, you know, do you know who I am? <laughs> You know, like, I'm, I'm kind of a big deal. And yet he doesn't do that, you know? Like, he's humble. I read that, I'm like, isn't there something that just draws you into that, like, that attracts you to that? This idea of humility, I think, is, is a really misunderstood attitude. I like how a guy named C.S. Lewis, another professor, uh, writer, theologian, I like the guy how C.S. Lewis says it. He says, true humility is not thinking less of yourself it's thinking of yourself less. True humility is not thinking less of myself. It's just thinking of myself less. And I think a lot of times when we think of humility, like we get this wrong, like we, we see it as like having low self-esteem, you know, or, or I just, you know, think of myself as being worthless. That's not what humility is. Humility is just not making myself the focus. And so I think with humility, we like, we all struggle with it in some way. I see it as like a spectrum. On one end of the spectrum, you have like this worthlessness view of ourselves. We're like, I'm just not that important. I'm not good at anything. That's not humility, right? That's low self-esteem. That's not understanding who we are in Christ, right? At the other end of the spectrum is pride, which is also not good. Pride is saying, I'm the center of the universe. I'm the most important thing. That's not humility either, right? I think of pride, I've said this numerous times in the past, like I am repulsed by pride. Like I think if there's one thing that like pushes me away from people, it's pride. Like when I sense deep pride in somebody, I'm like, Ugh, you know, I, just, I just don't even want to be with them. And I'm also repulsed by pride in myself, you know. Usually that takes more time to recognize. When I recognize in my own heart that my focus has been much more on me. I think the older that I get, it becomes more obvious and beautiful. Um, 
hum what humility is. Like humility becomes more beautiful to me as I get older. And the things that I think I used to take pride in are, are so trivial. You know, like when I was young, I pride in how much I could bench press or how high I could jump or my grades in school, whatever it was. And as I get older, I'm like, that's, like, that's so meaningless. If you're a student right now, grades are not meaningless. Don't hear me wrong there. I don't mean it that way. But like in the big picture of things, like the things that I thought made me valuable and important, don't. And humility is such a beautiful thing. Pride can be so destructive in our lives. It could be so destructive in our relationships, right? Our relationships with each other, but then also our relationship with God. Look back at how Paul makes his point here, because I think this is so good. He looks at Jesus, right? And he's like, he's God, and yet he made himself nothing. He humbled himself in the, in the most extreme way possible. He put it, he's God. He put aside his power, some of his power, a lot of his power. He put aside his deity to become one of us, to offer his life for us. Hey, think about that. And guys, listen, if you sit here this morning and you would say, I am a Christian, look at Jesus. Like, look at the attitude that he had. Look at the humility that he had. Like, if that's who he was, so humble, like he was God, and he, like, he deserved everything, and he completely humbled himself, not only to become a human being, but to offer his life for us. If I would consider myself a Christian, Shouldn't my life be like that? You know? Like if that's, if that's what the, the, the life of the person that I'm saying I'm following is like, shouldn't my life reflect the same thing? Here's a great question. So we're talking about growing, right? Like how do I know if I'm growing more and more as a follower of Jesus, as a Christian? Here's a great question to ask. Am I willing to humble myself? Am I willing to humble myself? Am I willing to be a nobody Am I willing to think of myself less more and more, <laughs> right? Am I willing to, to put other people ahead of me more and more in my life? That's the first thing that jumps out to me from this, humility. Here's the second thing, and this really is a direct result of humility. This has a direct relationship with humility. When we are humble, then we are servant-hearted. Servant-hearted. This is the second thing. Listen to this. Paul says, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. He goes on, he's talking about Jesus again. He said, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. You know, it's amazing when, when we like start to live humility in our lives and we're not the center of the world anymore. It's amazing how our eyes are open to the needs of other people. You know, like things that we would not previously have seen when we're like myopic looking at our own lives. All of, all of a sudden it's like I have 20-20 vision and I can see there's people around me and they have a lot of need. And when I'm not focused on myself, I, can, I actually do have time to meet their needs. I actually do have time to make a difference in other people's lives. You know, we touched on this briefly last week when we were talking about living for what Jesus lived for. But think about how Jesus came to serve others. You know, like you look at the life of Jesus and you do a little survey. I hope, I hope you got a chance to do that last week. I challenge you to like just do a survey of the gospel of Matthew and see the things that Jesus lived for. Like the way that he spent his time on earth. He was teaching others. He was healing others. He was doing miracles for others. He was praying for others. Ultimately, he gave his life for others. 
You know, when I, when I think of how he washed his disciples' feet at the Last Supper, I think, man, that is, that is a beautiful example, a little snapshot of Jesus' servant heart. I mean, it's the day before he's going to die. He knows it. It says he's been eagerly anticipating this time with his disciples, right? This meal, this last meal with them. And he gets down on his knees. He takes off his outer clothing. He gets down on his knees and he washes their feet. And man, if you think foot washing is gross today, like imagine what it was like when everybody's walking around the dust with open-toed shoes, you know? Like imagine how disgusting that would have been, how humbling that would have been. And that's exactly what Jesus did. And then after he does it, what does he do? Well, he teaches them one last time. He prays for them one last time. And then he goes and he sacrifices his life for them. Like, that's Jesus. That's the God of the universe. Colossians 1 says, that's the one. He's the one who created everything that is and keeps it going, sustains it all. That's who Jesus is. That's his attitude. And before he served humanity in the greatest way possible at the cross, right after he washed his disciples' feet, do you remember what he said? there he said go do the same thing like do what i do the way that i just served you go serve other people care for other people's needs shoulder other people's burdens help other people be like me it's interesting it's one of the last things that he said to us in fact he says you will be blessed if you do it go serve other people the way that i serve you'll be blessed if you do it so here's a great question to ask ourselves, we're talking about growing, is my attitude becoming more and more like Jesus' attitude? Here's a great question. Am I willing to serve others? Am I willing to serve others? Like, is that a, is that a driving part of my attitude? Am I willing to take the posture of a servant? Am I willing to not live my life for me, but to give it away for other people? That's like a mantra in my life that... Um, I want, I try to live by, I want to live by. Sometimes I do better than other times, but I want to give my life away for other people. I don't want to live my life for myself. I want to give my life away to other, for other people. Are you willing to do that? Like, are you willing to say, it's not about me. There's so many others that have needs. I'm okay. I'm going to focus on other people and I'm going to serve them. There's a zillion ways to do it if we're looking for it, Right? Like there's needs all around us that we can meet if we're looking for it. Question is, are we looking for it? So that's the second thing, servant-hearted. So humility, being servant-hearted. The third thing that jumps out to me from this passage actually has the opposite relationship with humility as serving others does. So serving others is a direct result of humility. When we, when we are humble, it moves us to serve other people. This one causes humility to grow and take root in us. So if you sit here today and you're like, yeah, uh, humility, I need to be a more humble person, try this. Ready? Here's the third thing. Submission and obedience. Submission and obedience. So I read this passage about Jesus, and I'm like, he's humble, he's servant-hearted, and he's submissive and obedient. This is what it says. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And you think about that. Jesus submitted to and was obedient to the Father. Like that was, that was part of his attitude. Another place he said, not my will, but yours be done. He's praying to the Father. He says, not my will, but yours be done. He accepted the authority of the Father. Think about this. Even though he was God too, 
Like one of the fundamental, the most fundamental Christian beliefs is that God has eternally existed as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. All three, 100% equally God. And so Jesus is fully God himself, and yet he was submissive and obedient to the Father's commands and to the Father's plan for his life, even though it meant pain and suffering and sacrifice. So here's my question. How about you? And like one of the ways for us to gauge if our attitude is becoming more and more like Jesus' attitude is to ask ourselves, am I living my life in submission and obedience to God? You know, like, is that, is that a big deal to me? It's not always easy. It's not always pleasant. In fact, sometimes it's downright uncomfortable. But it's the best way. Sometimes we can look at, at uh, submission and obedience as like, uh, restrictive, you know? Well, if I'm obedient, if I'm doing what he says to do in here, then there's a bunch of other stuff that I can't do. And I think it's just the opposite. John, John shared with us um, a quote that his grandpa, a saying that his grandpa um, used to say that I think is so appropriate here. I love this. He said, he who is a slave to the compass has the freedom of the seas. He who is a slave to the compass has the freedom of the seas. And I think about that. I, think I love that. Like apply that to what we're talking about here. God's given us a compass. You know what it is? Two, actually, he's given us two compasses. One is this, right? Shows us direction. The other one lives inside of our hearts. It's his spirit living inside of us. He's given us two compasses to show us the way, to, to show us how to navigate life safely. And when we follow it closely, when we become a slave to his compasses, it's amazing the freedom that we have to live life to the fullest. It's not restrictive. A compass isn't restrictive to somebody sailing the seas, right? It actually gives them freedom and safety. It's the best way. And it's the same thing with God and his word. Same thing with his spirit in our heart. When I go, man, I want to be like the best way, not always the easiest, not always the most comfortable, but the best way for me to live my life is to submit to the Father and be obedient to him. It changes everything. It changes everything. And it's exactly what Jesus was like. So, so I look at those three things, humility, servant-hearted, submissive, and obedience to God, and you think, what sort of result do those bring about in life? Like, what sort of um, change does that make or result does that bring? Well, look at, look at uh, verse 9. Therefore, or essentially as a result, therefore, God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place. And he gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess, acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What's that all about? Glory to God, right? Jesus lives with humility, servant-heartedness, submissive and obedience. What happens? God gets glory. In fact, with Jesus, God the Father, first of all, exalts Jesus. He glorifies Jesus for being that way. And through that process, God gets glory as well. Guys, here's the thing. When we live that same way, the same thing happens. When I live with humility, when I, have, when I live um, with a servant heart, when I live with submission and obedience, God gets glory. You know why? Because people look at us and they're like, He's different, <laughs> or she's different in a good way. Like, why, why is she so humble? Why is she always thinking about other people? 
Why is he always asking what he could do to help me? Why does he just do stuff without even asking, just to make my life easier? Like, what drives that? And it leads people to Jesus. See, the thing is, my attitude and your attitude, we can either push people away from God, or we could pull people to God. And being a Christian, it's not just you and me having a relationship with God. We're on a mission, right? He's given us a mission in this life to help other people experience, to help Jesus make sense to other people. So, so here's how I want to end. Here's how I want to challenge you. Go ahead and throw up that next slide, Ruth. Here's how I want to challenge you. I think this passage is so, so, so powerful. We had 35, 40 minutes. There's, there's so much depth there. I challenge you this week. Read it five times. There's, five's not a magic number. It's just more than twice. Read it five times. Read it 10 if you want. But read it slowly and as you read it, ask God to allow it to like sink into your heart, that, that, it, it, that it's deep, that it's meaningful, that it becomes part of what you desire to be in your life. Second thing, take an inventory of your life in regards to your attitude. Like, are you living this way? Are you living with humility? Do you feel like you have a servant heart? Is submission and obedience to the Father a big deal to you? And be honest about it. And ask God to help you live that way more and more. And then, third thing, go do something with it. <laughs> you know, like go serve other people. If we're asking God to give us a servant heart, we better be going out and serving people, right? We better be ready to do that. That's my challenge to you this week. If, if we could have the attitude of Christ, not only would our world change, but the world would change.